It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 282 for March 4th, 2012. This week, Windows 8 inches closer with release of the consumer preview. If you find the Windows Explorer insufficient, take a look at Nexus file. Public computers, a lot like public bathrooms, only worse. And in short circuits, limits on AT&T's unlimited plan still vex users, and some members of Anonymous have been arrested. The Windows 8 Consumer Preview is out and available for download by anyone. We're still many months away from the release, and technically this is still just alpha software. The next step in the process, two or three months from now, will be a true beta version that will probably also be available to anybody who wants to download it. That'll be followed by a release candidate, and then before the end of the year, the new operating system will be released to manufacturing. The new Windows 8 logo was leaked, either intentionally or not, before the consumer preview was released, and depending on who's talking, it's a bold step forward or a throwback to 1985. The multicolor logo with the waving flag is gone. Instead, the Windows 8 logo is a cyan window at an angle. You'll see an image of it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Overall, there seem to have been more complaints about it than praise, but that's to be expected. We all want something new, but when that something new comes along, many of us resist it. Eventually, we accept it, learn to like it, and by this time next year, some of this year's haters will probably be telling us just how much they liked it all along. It's a very minimalist design, but it immediately says mobile and tablet, two pieces of technology that will play large in the upcoming version of Windows. But to some extent, it doesn't matter too much whether people like the new logo or detest it. In fact, it's to Microsoft's advantage for both camps to exist because now there's a discussion and a controversy. Although TechBiter Worldwide is primarily about technology, I have always admired design. For that reason, you probably would expect me to write about the logo. It's also being written about and discussed by various design blogs, but it's become a topic for publications such as PC World, where Tony Bradley wrote, and I quote, The new Windows 8 logo is pure genius. It has captured attention and is driving discussion and has clearly established itself in just a few days as a unique, distinguished symbol of the future of Windows. And David Murphy at PC Magazine summarized reactions from various designers and non-designers, but carefully avoided saying whether he likes it or not. The new logo is very plain. It is a gigantic departure from the previous logo, just as Windows 8 is a gigantic departure from previous versions of Windows. And in many ways, it seems like the perfect choice for Windows 8. My only real question is about the color. Cyan has never been my favorite color, but I think a deeper blue would have reminded too many people of IBM. I suppose they could have been really bold and gone with a deep purple logo, or because green figures so prominently in the first public test release, perhaps a shade of green. Microsoft's presence was notable at the Mobile World Conference this week in Barcelona. It appears that two topics were real standouts in Spain, tablets and Windows 8. At the conference, and as suspected, Microsoft announced the consumer preview edition of Windows 8 on Leap Day. 
You can download the Consumer Preview from Microsoft's website. You'll find a link to the download site on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I recommend selecting the ISO option at the bottom of the page. Download the file that's right for your computer, either the 64-bit English or the 32-bit English, or one of the other languages if you prefer. The 64-bit uh, version is 3.3 gigabytes. The 32-bit version is 2.5 gigabytes. Also available in Chinese, French, German, and Japanese. Windows 8 Consumer Preview is considered to have more bugs than the earlier Developer Preview. That's not a big surprise because the Developer Preview omitted a lot of features and everything that's expected to be in the final version of Windows 8 is in the Consumer Preview. Microsoft has about three months to continue working on the operating system before they'll need to produce a true release candidate and another three months more or less after that to continue squishing bugs and applying tweaks before they need to release code to manufacturing and to the OEMs. A quick aside from Windows to take a look at Google. Their main focus at the show was Android tablets with dozens of tablets and smartphones on a model railroad-like display. If you have an Android device today, it's probably running version 2 or 3 of the operating system. Version 4, called Ice Cream Sandwich, is approaching, and Google hopes the new version's features will revive interest in Android. Even so, it appears that there are problems loading this new OS onto smartphones. Most of the new smartphones on display at the show were still running much earlier versions of the Android operating system. If that continues to be the case over the next year, the Microsoft Windows Phone 8 could fill an opening in the marketplace. If you want to give Windows 8 a try, follow the link from the TechBiter Worldwide website and download the ISO file. Even though you can install directly over the internet, I've never really trusted that method. I'd rather download the file to be sure I have everything before I start, that I don't lose the connection halfway through the installation. Burn the file to a DVD and boot from it. There are options for dual booting with an existing Windows 7 installation or an earlier version, as well as for updating an existing Windows 8 Developer Edition preview. But these options are not clear from the installer, and it took a while for me to confirm that process from Microsoft's website. You'll also need an activation key. The key is shown on the download page, but if you miss it there, it's also on the TechBiter Worldwide website. One key fits all. Microsoft also offers clear warnings on the website about the potential for something to go wrong. I wouldn't install Windows 8 on a production computer unless I had first backed up everything. And even then, I probably wouldn't install it on a production machine. Use a secondary computer for testing. After installing the Windows 8 Consumer Preview on the Windows 8 Developer Preview Partition, I rebooted the machine, noted the uncommonly attractive dual boot screen, and selected Windows 7 just to confirm that everything was still working there as expected. It was. Another reboot took me to Windows 8 and pretty much the end of this account. I haven't seen enough of the consumer preview to provide an honest and usable summary, so I'll save that for another day. One thing I have noticed, though, is that I can't currently use Windows 8 for more than a few minutes. A little frowning face appears with the term DPC watchdog violation. Okay, couldn't you guys be more inventive than to steal the sad Mac image from Apple? When you see that little sad Mac face, and a message that the computer will restart in five seconds, you can wait five seconds, or ten, or fifteen, two minutes, or five. It never does restart. The only solution is a power-off reset. Again, it is important to keep in mind that this is alpha software. It is expected to be buggier than the earlier developer release. 
And that expectation has certainly been realized. I never have been completely happy with the Windows Explorer. It shows just one panel, and doing anything useful requires opening two copies of the application. Now I found Nexus File, a replacement for Windows Explorer written by a software developer in South Korea. Visually, it reminds me of applications from the 1990s, but when it comes to performance and functionality, it beats anything Microsoft has ever offered. I wasn't looking for a new file manager because no replacement file manager I've ever found has worked very well. But I found myself on No Jung Hoon's website to download Nexus Font, a typeface manager, when I noticed that he offered several other utility programs. These include Nexus Money, an income expense manager for iPhones. Well, I didn't download that to test it because I don't have an iPhone. There's the Nexus to-do list. I didn't download it because Outlook does a really good job with scheduling and tasks. There's Nexus Image, an image viewer. I've downloaded that. Haven't yet tested it. I'll let you know later. There was Nexus Subway. That's an iPhone map for subways in Korea. Well, there were two reasons I didn't download that one. Number one, I don't have an iPhone. Number two, I don't live in Korea. Oh, and number three, I can't read Korean. There's Nexus Call, an iPhone dialer. Nope, no iPhone. Nexus Font, that's what I came to the site for, the font manager I wanted. It turned out to be not what I needed, and it seems to lack the essential features of a font manager, so I won't be reviewing it. And then there was Nexus File, the file manager, so I consider this kind of a lucky find. The first thing you'll see when you open Nexus File is that there's a lot of information to see. You'll find icons in the upper left corner for common locations such as desktop, documents, pictures, music, videos, and favorites. These will take you to the Windows defaults by default, but you can change them. If I click Pictures, I don't go to the Windows Pictures directory. I go to the Digital Cameras directory on Drive D. And if I click Music, it takes me to my Music directory, which happens to live on Drive F. Another key feature is the list of all drives on the system and an indication of how much space remains on each drive. This is visible regardless of which drives or directories you've selected in either the right or left panel. And there are two panels. That's helpful. The left and right panels make it easy to drag and drop files from one location to another. The inability to do this is one of the major shortcomings of the Windows Explorer. Selecting a different disk drive for either right or left panel is as easy as clicking the icon in the upper left corner of each panel and selecting the drive from the drop-down list. From there, you can easily drill down to any directory. And there are a couple of icons between the two views. And these allow you to select or deselect files in groups. You click an icon and copy it from the left or right, right to left, sort files, or define the columns that you want displayed. I mentioned the colors are somewhat reminiscent of the mid-1990s. Well, if you don't care for those colors, you can change them easily to suit your preferences. The color scheme is one of the most complete and robust I've ever seen. You choose the background and foreground colors, of course, but you can also specify colors used to indicate a folder, a drive, files with read-only or hidden attribute set, directories that are open, and lots more. If that's all this Windows Explorer replacement did, it would be well worth the few minutes you'd spend downloading it. But there's a lot more. I should mention that No Jung-hoon, the author of the program, provides it without cost and without obligation. 
He does offer a donation option, and of that he says, and I quote, Most of my programs are distributed as freeware. However, if you think that those programs are useful enough and you wish to make a donation, your donation will help me to run this site and encourage me to develop more useful programs. Donations are handled via PayPal, so the process is quick, easy, and secure. There is no help file. Most people probably won't need one. The help option is on the menu and takes you to the programmer's website where the page simply says, coming soon. But adjacent to that menu option is one called Shortcut Keys. Click that and you'll find a list of at least 100 functions that are assigned or can be assigned to a key press. If you don't like the way No Jung Hoon set up the key assignments, you can change them. You're probably beginning to see why I consider this to be such a huge improvement over the Windows Explorer. Nexus File has eight options in the menu bar, and each of those has numerous selections and subselections under it. I'll skim over the highlights, recommend that you download the application and give it a test drive. In other words, I'm not going to be mentioning every option on every menu. There is, of course, a file menu. Select a file and press Enter to open or run it. Pressing Control-Enter allows you to specify parameters for the program, and this works whether it's a program file that you're opening or a data file that has a default application association. You can also copy or move the selected file, send it to the recycle bin, or shred it. There are rename options. You can change the timestamp, add attributes, look at the file's properties, add or edit a comment, or create a shortcut on the desktop or the quick launch area. In the folder menu, there's an option to show a folder tree. Single click provides it, and displaying the tree for my music directory, which contains more than 30,000 files, took less than 30 seconds. You can also move forward or backward through the directory structure or even browse a network folder. In the edit menu, you'll find copy, cut, and paste, but there's a lot more, including an advanced selection, advanced deselection option, the ability to select all files with the same name regardless of extension, and all files with the same extension regardless of name. There's also a Find option if you need to find files. Next is the View menu. This controls the user interface. You can change the language or modify the overall look with one of three included skins. You can create a left column on each side for folders, change to the single folder view, show or hide various program features, or view or hide buttons for all system drives, and even create a new tab that subdivides the right or left sections. There are also sorting and display options for the various columns. This is one very versatile program. The system menu gives you immediate access to key folders, such as desktop documents, pictures, music, videos, and favorites. also gives you access to the control panel, the add and remove programs section of the control panel, the recycle bin, the temp folder, and even the command line. In the archive menu, you'll find items that are designed to help you work with zip files and other compressed files. There's a network menu, and Nexus File even includes an FTP client that allows you to upload and download files to any site that has an FTP server. And last, the Tools menu. Here you can view or edit a text file, compare folders, and establish program defaults. Additional features and functions exist, but you'll just have to find those for yourself when you download and install Nexus File. Bottom line on Nexus File for cats. If Nexus File had a help menu, it would definitely earn 5 cats. 4 cats is a very solid rating, and I'm torn between saying 5 cats because of the enormous range of functions that this Windows Explorer replacement provides, and saying 4 cats because some users won't be able to make full use of the program without that help file. If you ever encounter limitations in the Windows Explorer, do yourself a favor and download Nexus File. You'll find a link to it from the TechBinder Worldwide website. 
is. You're on the road without a computer, a smartphone, or any other device that you can use for internet access. And now you need access to the internet. You locate an internet cafe or a library and hustle inside. Now what? Well, consider these points. You don't know what kind of security software is installed on the computer you're now using. You don't know who used it before you did. You don't know what that person did to the computer, what sites they might have visited, what they did to it. You don't know if it contains keylogger software. You don't know what information you might leave behind. These are all valid concerns, and they're things that you should be thinking about before using any public computer. First of all, protect your password. Probably the most serious threat would be the presence of a keylogger on the public system. Keyloggers monitor everything typed on the keyboard and can easily capture usernames and passwords when the user types them. This information is then sent off to somebody who will try to use it to empty your bank account or make purchases using your identity. Keyloggers are hard to find, and if a hardware keylogger has been plugged in, the only way you'll find it is by examining the computer. If you can't avoid making sensitive connections from a public computer, you can at least protect your username and password. The process is both simple and foolproof, but it takes a lot of time. The keylogger can see only what you type. So if you copy and paste characters, the keylogger will see only the copy and paste operations, not the contents of the buffer. Open an application such as Notepad. Type all the uppercase letters, type all the lowercase letters, type all of the other characters you might use in your username and password. Don't type just the username and password. The keylogger would see that. Just type the alphabet, uppercase, lowercase, and the numbers, and whatever else might be in your password. Then, when you need to enter your username, copy the characters individually from Notepad and paste them into the login dialog. Keep your online session short and be aware that some spyware can capture periodic screenshots. If the site displays sensitive information on screen, beware of that. Be sure not to allow the browser to save your username or password. The browser will maintain a record of your browsing history, though, no matter what. And you'll probably want to obliterate that before you leave. Even if the browser has a private browsing feature, it's still a good idea to clear the browser's cache and browsing history when you're finished. Chrome, Firefox, and Internet Explorer all recognize Control-Shift-Delete to open the history deletion dialog. Each browser gives the dialog a different name, and the process, once you've opened the dialog, varies a bit among browsers. Just read the instructions and specify that you want to clear all history. Then shut down the browser. You don't have to turn off the computer, but it is important to exit the browser. If you don't, the next person who uses the computer can use the back button to see where you went. And if you neglected to log out, that person could back into a live session that would provide access to your private information. The safest option, of course, is not to use a public computer, or if you must use a public computer to avoid using it for any activity that involves personally identifiable information, banks, online shopping, and even business or personal email. If you do need to use a public computer for any of these kinds of activities, it's a very good idea to change your password when you return to your home or office. The best defense is a great defense. <laughs>
In short circuits, what does unlimited mean to you? Un is a prefix that negates whatever follows. Unfriendly means not a friend. Unethical means a shortage of ethics. Unhappy indicates a shortage of joy. Unhappy describes a lot of AT&T customers who felt that the company's unlimited data plan with limits was both unfriendly and unethical. AT&T says it will modify its unlimited plan to be a little less unfriendly. It's worth noting that AT&T doesn't offer unlimited plans anymore, but about 17 million subscribers have been allowed to keep the unlimited plans they had signed up for. Here's what unlimited used to mean to AT&T. Anyone who was in the top 5% of data users during a given month and in a given area would see their service speeds throttled back. Here's what unlimited now means to AT&T. If you use more than 3 gigabytes of your unlimited data, then limits kick in and throttle back your connection speed. Now, here's what unlimited means to most people who speak just plain old English. Unlimited. Adjective. Number one, having no restrictions or controls, as in an unlimited travel ticket. Number two, having or seeming to have no boundaries. Infinite, as an unlimited horizon. Number three, without qualification or exception, absolute, unlimited self-confidence. That's from the American Heritage Dictionary. Only a U.S. corporation, considered by the Supreme Court to be a person, could create a definition of an unlimited plan with limits and do it with a straight face. To quote AT&T, our unlimited plan customers have told us they want more clarity around how the program works and what they can expect. End quote. Maybe AT&T could just make the plan match the name. An iPhone user recently won an $850 claim in a California court where the judge agreed that an unlimited service shouldn't suffer intentional shutdowns by the provider. AT&T, of course, says it will appeal the verdict. known as Anonymous likes to deface websites, break into sites with lax security and steal information, and otherwise engage in activities that some people might consider to be less than totally above board and helpful. Now, 25 suspected members of the group have been arrested in Europe and South America. Four of the 25 people arrested are suspects in attacks on the Spanish political party websites, according to the Spanish police. They are accused of defacing websites, carrying out denial-of-service attacks, and placing online information about police assigned to the Royal Palace and the Premier's office. Anonymous has no structure, no leaders, no managers. Think of a hydra without the centralized command and control. Because of the organization or lack of same, the arrests probably will have little effect on the group. Although Anonymous originated in the U.S., it has become increasingly involved in global actions, and as police agencies have targeted the organization, Anonymous has targeted police. Recently, Anonymous members tapped a conference call between the FBI, Scotland Yard, and other worldwide police agencies as they discussed their investigations of Anonymous. Yes, there is a little irony there, isn't there? Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. 
All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.